are back here at the Sweet Grass Market. Hello. Hello. Who are you? Where do you come from? What are we here chatting about? <laughs> oh God, so many questions. Uh, my name is Stefania Bukikio. I'm wearing different hats. So I'm here at the Fringe as a PR and a producer. I also have a performance space at the Elephant and Castle in London that I'm looking after. And as of lately, I've been made one of the four uh, UK co-directors of the International Theatre Institute. So things quite busy then? <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. Um, yeah, never a dull moment. Yeah, and how's your friend been so far? Very good. I have to say, um, this time, uh, yeah, of course, you know, if you asked my performers, they probably would give you a different answer. Uh, but, for instance, I'm looking after Family Flirt. We have Infinita at the uh, Pleasance Ground, yeah. and they are totally at the top of their game. And the ground is uh, a large space. Yeah. yeah. So it's 750 seater, and we did the first sold out today. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, but they're, they're a joy to behold, and really, I feel a bit proud this year yeah. to represent them. I have a sold out comedian from the States yeah. called Anders Lee, and who was diagnosed as autistic age five. Yeah. And now we turn that round completely. Basically, it's a bit of storytelling, a bit of stand-up, and uh, he wears it as a badge of honour now, yeah. and quite rightly so, because, you know, it's just shades of difference that um, ought not to be pathologised so much. Mm. And um, and I've got here, Sweet Venues, I've got the, uh, the Cloak and Dagger show. Yeah that I've seen in a different permutation in London and as a punter, I loved it so much that I convinced him to adapt it to Edinburgh. It's like a tour guide sort of thing, isn't it? Yes, a tour that turns into a play, unexpectedly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as a one-off, on the 25th of August, I'm producing um, a concert. Yeah which is for the very first time since he died uh, Ted Hughes widow gave permission to put the cycle crow to music yeah and I for my sins I hired a humongous church at the end of uh, Princess Street yes and now I have to fill it fantastic so, so, so uh, you, as we say you keep him busy uh, how many fringes have you done this will be the eighth consecutive yeah uh, all in all I think it's 12 12 yeah but at, ever since ever since 2010 I've been coming every year and that that's for the past um, seven years or oh, that's been as a, as a producer as a PR as a PR as a producer um, as a director yeah. last year, this of everything really. So what we've been asking a lot of people uh, this year, for no good reason whatsoever, is what their first fringe was like. What's your memories of your first fringe? First fringe, I was a pure punter. Yeah. And I thought I found myself in the theatrical <coughs> equivalent of a sweet shop. Yeah. And I kept going round, and I think I invented the fear of missing out before it was yeah, yeah. anything. Yeah. Because I didn't. I stayed only about four or five days, 
Yeah. I don't have any recollection of sleeping during no. that time. I went back to London, crashed to all intents and purposes. I think I slept for 72 hours yeah. uh, and I was slightly dehydrated when I woke up. Yeah. That might have been the only reason why I woke up after 72 <laughs> yeah. hours. And then everything had blended into one four or five days long yeah. show in a sort of a pleasant but slightly baffling lethargic experience. Yeah. So um, when I came back I had learned if nothing else to slightly pace myself. Yeah. New punters or second year punters tend to get a bit loyal to a, a, a space, to a venue. Uh, did you find that for you? Did you find yourself going back to a venue even though you weren't necessarily sure what shows were putting on but you began to trust yeah. the venue? Uh, call me a snob, I tend to do the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, I have no great loyalty, yeah. um, especially because it's very much like football teams. Yeah. Because they won the cup the previous year, they're not necessarily going to be able to do it this year. Yeah. So I uh, know I, um, I should have shown you. I really study my stuff. So when I receive the the big paper catalog that you could kill people with, as yes. you know, yeah. um, then it's um, plastic galore. So it's my marker onto one hand, plastic in the other, and I go from the very long list to the long list to the short yeah. list, and that still leaves space out for word of mouth. Yeah. You know, that now there's a gaggle of people I trust, and that goes um, a lot further than any sort of loyalty towards yeah. any particular venue. Are there shows uh, since coming down here that have really caught your eye that somehow didn't catch your eye at all when they were in the brochure? Um, unfortunate, because I'm running the second edition of my award, the yeah. Hollywood Awards, and it's been so good this year because having started last year a lot of people put their show forward yeah. and I have to say that I would say a good 60% of them had not caught my eye as I was going through the yeah. program but um, because I was sent the press release and it sounded really interesting we're actually uh, going to see all of them yeah. uh, because I have two full-time jurors as well this year yeah. and um, and some people really did their research as well so they knew what I was looking after yeah. uh, what I was looking for and what I had programmed before and you know the nature of Draper Hall yeah. so there are a couple of those that I'm really really hopeful because um, yeah. obviously you hope that you're going to see something yeah. wonderful yeah. What shows, um, if any, are you looking forward to that are not work-related at all? They're just for you. Ah, uh, <laughs> I don't think I got to the, I don't think I've got to that stage yet. Yeah. Because I normally uh, reserve myself the right of going to see something just for sheer pleasure yeah. towards the second week. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, first I have clients as a PR, so I've got to get their shows off the ground. Yeah. And um, 
as you know, with a bit of benevolent babysitting at all levels. And, um, and then I had to get the jury off the ground for the award. So I'm not quite sure yet, to be honest. Tell me uh, more about, about the shows that you're representing this year. Well, Family Flirts are... To be honest with you, I really, really feel very proud to be yeah. representing them because I can't think of another company that does what they do at their level. There's just obviously it's nothing to do with me. They've been at it for the past twenty years, yeah. and they are like a troop of ninjas, you know, totally devoted to their craft and. Uh, and it is a thing to behold because when they put those masks on you just are caught in the magic of it completely and the times that I had I, afterwards I heard people say oh yeah and the dialogue not a word is spoken yeah. there is dialogue but it's nothing verbal yeah but it comes across so clearly that people supply yeah. the dialogue in their mind and the, the tiniest of movements they do has meaning. Yeah. And and also I appreciate especially this show that bring me this year, which is called Infinita, which is basically about the continuity of life. So chunks of um, these characters as toddlers and at the very end of their lives and what transpires is how many things they have in common at the beginning at, at the end of their lives um, and there's a gentle humor but also um, you know there is a tendency to fill every little theatrical moment with sound and yeah. things it's actually quite sparse as, as because it leaves people to think and I thought it was very courageous for them to do that yeah. um, so yeah they're great um, Anders uh, who does dumbing uh, I've done um, one preview in London at my space and I wasn't quite sure because I've never done comedy before, I've yeah. never programmed comedy before. People loved him and I think because he brings his own story yeah. and finding the funny bits that were not funny at the time yeah. um, and he's such a warm character that I think that people really appreciated the, the truth of what he was talking about, especially nowadays that it seems that you know you've got to label every single thing yeah. as a pathology. And um, and the the guys from the Cloak and Dagger um, show, I went to see them in London. They do their tour in London starting from the uh, George Pub in Saddock and I went purely by chance on my own. I had 
such a good time because they knew their stuff, but the fact that the guided tour then turns unexpectedly onto a playlist. Yeah. You know, there are very few original things still to be discovered, yes. and I was full of admiration, so I convinced Carrie to really do research for Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and it's all, um, it's got Jacobite overtones, which I think fits with Edinburgh so beautifully. And, uh, and Crow, how could I say no? And, and I'll tell you that this, this is actually um, a fringe story, very much so, because the whole thing originated last year during the fringe as I bumped into this musician, Mikey Kirkpatrick whom I vaguely knew. So we were on hello terms yeah. and we bumped into each other in the drizzle, ha, surprise, in Nicholson Street. Yeah. And uh, you know, I just said, what are you working on? And he said, I have this idea. I didn't think it's going to come through, but I asked Carol, Ted Hughes' widow, permission to put the cycle through onto music. She never said yes in the past to anything. Yeah. Um, we wait and see. And I just burped up. And I you know, thought, well, if anything comes out of it, will you please keep in touch? Yeah. And in the end, we, we stayed and talked for about an hour in yeah. the rain. <laughs> and But I felt really energized at the end of it because yeah. I thought if he could do it, it it could have been wonderful and in the end we just did um, a secret gig in London before we came here well before I came here yeah. but arriving later and it was do you know when something acquires a life of its own yeah Somehow, even uh, during the first gig, this beast was something else. Yeah. And um, so you can't wait to see it in that big, big church. Fantastic. Uh, to be to be honest with you, I don't think the church people really understood what we're taking them. Well, they're going to find out. Yeah, and it's also a one-off. So yeah. what? You, yeah. You know, no consequence. Stepping into the unknown. Yes. Uh, so uh, give us uh, your, your dates and venues. So, um, Infinita by Family Flirts are doing the the entire run. Yeah. Up to the 27, 1.30, uh, 90 minutes. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. So, at the other end of the scale, the one-off is Crow at St. John's Church, part of uh, Just Festival, and it's going to be at 7 o'clock in the evening, just the 25th of August. Yeah. Um, Anders Lee is doing the complete run at 1 o'clock, part of the Free Fringe at Bourbon Bar. Yeah. Uh, the Cloak and Dagger show are ending their run on the 17th of August and they're doing it every day at 10 to 9, starting from Grass Market Street. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Have a great fringe. I thank you and you too. So, uh, hello Emily Cardi. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. We oh, first met you. on the podcast. 
We did. Back at um, Sweet Venues in Brighton, at That's Brighton right. Dreams, a year and a bit back. That's right. Uh, that, that was. Um, I was doing Richard the Third. I must Richard have been doing Richard the Third. And um, it was actually scant weeks before Jodie Whittaker was announced as the Doctor. Yes. Uh, we spoke of the possibility of such a time. I think. We I, did. I think yeah. at length. I think yeah. we spoke about sci-fi and Doctor Who and much more than we spoke about anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see what we could do. We spoke about Ghostbusters as well. Yes. And Ghostbusters. That's right. And I'm going to see um, Ministers of Grace, the Ghostbusters course, Shakespeare yes. That's right, yeah. thing on, um, on Thursday? No, on, on the 10th. On a day. On the 10th, but whatever yeah. day that is, I'm seeing yeah. it then. I met, they, they came to mind today. Oh, I excellent. saw them. Yeah. Lovely guys. Yeah. That, that yeah. does look fun. That but look I fun. am their target audience. Oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Ghostbusters 2. I, I, I'm determined that it's going to happen. Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah. And be better than the other Ghostbusters 2, yeah. which we do not speak of. You know, I, I, Why I, am I all covered in goop? I, I'd always sort of like disliked it. I, 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 it. I pulled it up on Netflix uh, uh, a while back, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'd actually watched it before its entirety. And it actually holds up better than its reputation. You can see there's some good ideas there, but we also can see that... It has its moments. Yeah. You know, the, the ideas are sound, but then... Hey, it was doing a walking Statue of Liberty long before Stephen Moffat was doing a walking Statue of Liberty. Well, that's true. And, and he that got all the crystals. Yeah, yeah. But again, let's not do this. Let's talk about <laughs> the show that you are when doing. When geeks meet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are at Sweet Novotel. Yes. With? Shiny new venue. Uh, with Hamlet and Experience, uh, our new show from yeah. Bright Theatre which takes the ideas that we established in Richard III, a one-woman show, of using a main character and then the audience playing the other roles. Yeah. I'm pushing that, I think, quite a lot further, but in a different direction because it's such a different character. So it has a really different feel. But yeah. Yes, it's fascinating so far. So what, in, uh, we're avoiding spoilers, what is the experience? <laughs> well, um, the audience are the players arriving at Elsinore. Yeah. And it's in a very, very small space, so maximum 20 audience at the moment. And you're welcomed by, by Hamlet, played by myself. And you're given then the roles from the play, from his life, yeah. his family members. He gives you those roles so that he can tell his story. And we start with the advice to the players then, yes. and, then we get, and then we go into a very, obviously, very cut down version of the story. Each audience member who's playing one of the key characters is given a very simple cue script with a certain small number of actions, key bits of action that they have to do and a few lines that they have with their cues very clearly marked and also obviously I know what everybody needs to do so I can gesture to them so they don't need to sit with their head in the script the whole time and it all interweaves together and there's a lot of scope there for the audience to bring their own interpretation to whatever they have to do so they can die as dramatically or yeah. as subtly as they like um, they can ad-lib if they like um, the whole play within a play is also done by the audience and they have the story and they can tell it however they want to yeah. so it's genuinely different every time and I'm responding to what they're doing as much as they're responding to what I'm doing so when you're giving uh, the advice to the actors which is from the text of Hamlet yeah. um, does that, to put it bluntly help the audience are they able to listen to the advice and take it on do you find I hope so because part of what that establishes is you know it's you know don't do too much yeah. don't do too little yeah. 
find it for yourself. Goldilocks sort of it's thing. It's okay, it's just supposed to be natural, so don't worry about going over the top or yeah. anything like that. So that's quite helpful. They've also got that bit of time, they've just been given their scripts, so while I'm just sat there talking at them, they can have a little look through yeah. as well. So it's that it's just like being, you know, the director talking. Sure. Um, and then it also ends with that, you know, let not your clown speak more than a set down. Um, which means that, okay, we're here to do this job. We're not going to take the mickey out of it. We're not yeah. going to start giggling and laughing. It's really important that we tell this story. The stakes are very high. And I'm not going to give away the little twist that we've mm. put in at the end, but the stakes are very high for Hamlet as the director in that moment. Yeah. And um, what, the timing of the show, because it's at what, uh, what time of the day is it? It's, so it's 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Does that with the stakes being what they are, does that give a different vibe as compared to like an evening show or a morning show? Does the audience for an afternoon show come in with a different agenda? That's really interesting. Um, I don't, I think necessarily they do because I establish the atmosphere as they come in. It's very dimly lit yeah. and we're completely contained. And, and then the, the atmosphere is, is set by myself and whoever comes into the room. But I haven't noticed it feel particularly matinee. Yeah. I spend some time in the space beforehand um, trying, there's no better way of putting this, trying energetically to create a bubble of time out of time. Yeah, yeah. So that people are entering into this, this bubble. Yes. Um, which I've just been, I, I don't have my five minute call, I have my 10 minute call. And it takes me no time to set up, so for that whole 10 minutes I'm just sat, uh, picturing being sat there for eternity, waiting yeah. for these plays. So just to set up that atmosphere. So I think, and I hope, it feels like a time out of time. That's what we're going for. Yes. Talking about time, um, um, thinking back to your, your first time at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, yeah. What was, your, what, what was your experience of your first Edinburgh Fringe? This is really, really funny because my first ever, ever Edinburgh Fringe, I was here as a percussionist. Ah. I'm not a musician. I was here as a percussionist <laughs> for a musical called Paradise. This was when I was a student, first time round at Bretton Hall. It was 1995, yeah. I think. Um, it was quite a good musical. My my then, well, uh, my first husband um, that I was with then uh, wrote the mu uh, helped to write the music. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was uh, there was quite a large cast, and it was split into factions, and it became quite horrible. I remember we were staying in really really grim accommodation. There was parts of it that were quite horrible, but it was definitely I don't know a formative experience. Yeah. And I was playing, I was playing timpani, and uh, that's fun. Playing timpani is fun, and a bass drum, yeah, and and cymbals. I was like, yeah, and I, I'd learned it all by ear. Yes. Um, and I remember getting quite cocky about it, and occasionally just completely missing <laughs> the cymbal. And there was this one show where um, the lead singer was doing this great emotive thing, and you can see the musicians on the stage. You're, and this flat, just very, very slowly, uh. 
lands on his head, he, he shakes it off and just carries on. And I, I remember just sinking down in this bit of giggle, slowly <laughs> behind the timpani. Those are my residing memories of my very first yeah. Edinburgh Fringe. Then the first time I brought a show here myself was, unless I'm getting this horribly wrong, uh, Richard III in 2015. Oh, okay. Um, and that's done, that's done well for you, Richard III. You, you've been international. Yeah, it's been really... Uh, what a journey and an honour that's been. And yeah, uh, it's been most popular internationally. Yeah. So this year alone, uh, with Richard III, I've been to Romania uh, and Pakistan. Um, previously, I've been to New York, to Italy, um, all over all over the UK as well. Uh, Prague, Iceland, oh, places I'm probably forgetting, but it's, it's been incredible. And making friends all around the world wherever yeah. I go. So we must, Emily, look to you then as a paragon of fringe intelligence and wisdom yeah. and sauce. Because, yeah. um, think an individual performer, because oh, um, we know that the Edinburgh Fringe can be a lonely place. There's, there's so many people here and all in the same business. And when other people show seem to be doing really well or they're, they're getting lovely times and whatever, and there's a pressure on us to get fringe right, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. And I don't think anybody knows what that means. Um, I've never heard that. But what is there a way for you, or uh, anecdotally uh, that you're aware of, that we can look after ourselves better? This is a thing that keeps coming up on our podcast mm. this year, is about, um, one of the better phrase, mental health, I guess, and that whole sort of self-care about how we do survive the three weeks if we're here for the full three weeks. Will it yeah. going well? Yeah, absolutely. I am an absolute font of wisdom uh, in that regard. To the extent that, what is it, two or three days ago, I was almost just a sobbing, weeping wreck <laughs> walking down the road back to my accommodation because I'd, I'd, I'd had like a few berries in the morning for breakfast. And I'm yes. like, this is healthy. I'm eating fruit. I'm yes. doing self-care. So I had, yeah, I had breakfast. That's fine. And then I was, I was hyped about the show. I was excited. You know, still in early days. Um, and then I was flyering because I'm like, oh, you know, I need to get out there flyering and doing flying. Oh no, I need to get ready for the show. And I'm sat in my like 10 minutes, I'm preparing my space. I'm like, oh, my stomach starts going. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't feel so great because uh, I hadn't like eaten again and it's now three o'clock. Yeah. And then I do the show, which is obviously it's a solo show, it's very high energy, it's Hamlet. Mm -hmm. The show's fine. And then I come out of the show and I'm like, I need to eat something. Now I'm going to die. Walking the streets, and I have gluten and dairy intolerance. I think I just need a sandwich yes. or something. And nowhere, everywhere I looked was just, no, you know, like those dreams that you have where you really need to go to the toilet, yeah. but there's all the toilets, you can't, it was like that, but with But food. gluten intolerance dreams, but <laughs> yeah. in reality. But in reality, there was, no, there was nowhere. And then at one point I was like, I'll just go into this restaurant and I'll have something. And then I couldn't, and I was so out of it by that point. There was like one thing on the menu I could have or something and I was so out of it at that point that I couldn't, they, nobody told me whether it was table service or whether I ordered at the bar and I started getting anxiety and then so I'm just like, I don't even, I can't even wait, I'll just go up to the right, and then I just, and I would put myself into such a state 
And after being in that state and very nearly like having to stop myself, and then I ended up queuing in boots for 20 minutes because buying an egg. Yes. Um, <laughs> but after getting into that state, I was like, okay, stop. This is really important. Yeah. For God's sake, get sleep. But oh, especially for performers, eat. Just find that time. Make yourself eat a good breakfast. Yeah. You may not want to eat too close to your show. So a good breakfast is really important. Yeah. And then it's fine if you don't eat again until after your show. But get pro get yeah. get your protein in you first thing. So important. So I'm trying to be good about that now because that was really nasty. Not on a un entirely unrelated note. Today I um, ticked off what I now must know it has to be an uh, Edinburgh Fringe tradition, which is getting my coffee from the most angry coffee server in the country. <laughs> She's glorious. Absolutely, it's well, the place that it must not speak its name, but I get the impression. Our coffees are available. Our coffees are available, but I get the impression that she might normally serve Edinburgh University students. So there's a, a particular location, and oh, 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 she hasn't got the time for your shit at all. It's, um, <laughs> it's just glorious. And then Amazing. one of the coffees I had uh, was um, soya milk, and that was an issue. That was that was stamp. That was banging cups down. And that was Ooh. before she found out that she'd run out of soy milk. Oh no. It was, it was delightful. Well, I've learned, I'm really delighted with the things I've learned recently in terms of this food and drinking. The Novotel does a really nice, they've got a really nice bar Oh, area. the Novotel's lovely. Yeah. The Novotel is so nice. And they do coffees with almond milk. Ah. So I can get, before my show now, I've got a routine. I go flowering and then like an hour and a quarter before my show, I spend 15 minutes sitting with a latte, with my almond milk, great, and then I get ready. So I'm getting a routine now, because it's like, I'm here for the long haul, I'm here for the whole yes, month. I've yeah. got my 15-year-old daughter with me. I'm back, I'm walking back and forth uh, to make sure she eats, if she doesn't want to come out. Yeah. So I'm looking after her as well. Yeah. So it's tricky. But I also found that um, there's a stall that does gluten-free, dairy-free crepes. Ah. Which is right near my venue. So I am sourced. Yeah. Yeah. That is now my routine. We were speaking about obviously the um, Shakespearean Ghostbusters. Yeah. And is there anything else in the brochure that's caught your eye that you're hoping to catch this year? Well, well, I've seen a few things yeah. already. Um, so I've seen, uh, what did I see? I saw my a good friend of mine that I was at Exeter with, Jake Francis, is in filth on the in space. Oh, yes. in the space. I saw that last night. Extraordinary performance. So everybody, that's going to sell out. So yeah. catch that if you can. Um, tomorrow on my day off, I'm going to go see uh, Heaven Burns, which is like Friends. Yeah. Um, I saw Tilda Swinton answers an ad on Facebook. Oh, yes. But I didn't see Tom Lenk in it. I saw oh, I his understudy who yeah. was here before he arrived. That was hilarious. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. Um, Amanda Palmer is playing. She is. Many times. Um, so I'm, I'm going to see Amanda Palmer. I've got so many friends with show, shows here. Uh, Michael Daviot's got a new show yeah. on Don Quixote. I want to see that. I'm gutted that I can't see One Woman Alien. You were on pretty much the same time, aren't we? We are on the same time, yeah. same day off. Yes. I really wanted to see that. And of course I'll be uh, coming to see A Year Without Summer. God, what else? I have so many friends. Yeah. Good, I mean, it's, everything is good. Really, really strong stuff. Everything I've seen 
has been really, really good. It seems like a good fun fringe this year. Really high quality yeah, stuff, yeah. I think, um, of a lot, a lot of shows. We're, we're coming to the end of our sort of an hour or however long it is been that we've been chatting and so I'm contractually obliged geek to geek to talk about the trailer uh, yes. and um, Jodie in these um, few whispering clips of the show. Um, yeah. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Yeah. We yeah. Should, um, uh, if, you, if you're not a listener to um, Cast Iron Podcast, we're talking about Doctor Who. It, it's a contractual obligation uh, <laughs> that we do this occasionally. What I find genuinely quite funny, I, I don't know if it's deliberate, but it's just a very funny joke with the casting of Bradley uh, Walsh, who, uh, because he's known as a um, game show host, etc., people have sort of raised an eyebrow mm. at him more than they've raised the eyebrows at the unknowns. But I, I find it quite genuinely funny that the most controversial casting of the new series is a white middle-aged yeah, man. That um, is amusing. I hadn't uh, thought about that. Yeah, that's true. That did cause quite a hoo-ha. I'm sure he'll be fine. He looks lovely on the trailers. And I, I think um, it's, a, it's just a wonderful mix yeah. that they've got. And it's going to be... It, it looks a whole... A really... A whole new boost, a whole new start, a really different. It feels different and fresh, and fun, and it light. Does. And and I, I, you know, I have great love for the um, the impossible girl and the girl who waited. Oh. All those sort of um, iconic, deliberately iconic characters. Mm. But it's there's something very telling in that these characters are my best friends. It's just a, it's as simple as every day as that. But they, you know, what two of those characters we first see them in a cafe. Yeah. And there's something quite nice and everyday and accessible about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a really wise direction to go in. I really loved all the juicy, tortured stuff. I mean, I love that. I'm playing yeah. Hamlet. Crowd. Yeah, yeah. I love the juicy, tortured stuff. But I think that's really wise to now come out of that, have a really fresh new start, and like, and as um, as the doctor said, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And you watch that trailer and you think, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be fun. We're going to have fun together. This is like a group of friends. It yeah. isn't just this one really intense. You know, relationship. This is a group of people on adventures in space and time. Let's do this. Yeah. So, tell us uh, again your dates, times, and location for Hamlet and experience. Thank you. So, I'm on at the Sweet Novotel. Um, now still all the the whole of the run so until the 26th except for wednesdays at three o'clock excellent emily carding thank you very much thank you so much this has been the cast iron theater podcast presented by andrew allen and edited by michelle donkin music is chapstick by everett armand find us on twitter on facebook and our website castironbrighton.weebly.com Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.